We'd like for you to get your testament, your Bible, and turn to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, please, for our lesson this evening. Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians 4. In this great epistle, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. It's a church that he had begun there when he taught people and they had been misinformed about the baptism of John and he had to baptize people over again and he started the church. He had worked with this church to the degree that they had brought all of their magical books and their paganistic thinking, the many gods that they worshipped in that area. They piled them up and they burned them and they were convinced that Christ was the only God, the only true God and that Christ was the promised Messiah of the Jewish teaching in the Jewish Bible. He preached here for two years and three months. For three months he preached here it, it was at the Jewish synagogue. But the Jews disagreed with him and he had to rent him a hall, a hall of Tyrannus, it is called. And he spent two years there teaching and training people. In Acts, we have an entire chapter there, just about it, where he comes back to that congregation on his last journey. And he he addresses the elders at Miletus, it's not at Ephesus, but he addresses them and he tells them how that he'd gone night and day working and with tears and that he had shunned not to declare unto them the whole counsel of God. And he commended them, the, he commended them to God in the word of his grace which is able to build them up and to give them inheritance among all them sanctified. And he left and went to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, he was sent to Caesarea for two years. He was in prison. And then from Caesarea, he was appealed to Caesar, and he went to Rome. And he's in Rome when he writes this letter back to this wonderful congregation among whom he had gone teaching about the body of Christ. And I just want to share with you the fourth chapter because, and we'll turn to other things, but this is a way to get them to focus on the unity of the body of Christ and the unity of brethren working together and the aliveness that, that he presents here in Christ working in people. In the 
fourth chapter, he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. I beg you, I plead with you, I implore you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. And then he tells them how to do it. This will apply to us today, 2,000 years nearly later, to people who make up the body of the living Christ as he lives and moves in us and as we live and move in him. This is the way that we are supposed to act with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. What a wonderful behavior pattern that is. It doesn't stop there. The third verse says, Endeavoring with those great characteristics in chapter 4, verse 2. There is a drive, a driving power, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Spirit is that which gives life to the body. The body without the Spirit is dead. The Spirit is made manifest by the action that is described here. When he sets forth the next verse, he, he sets it forth in terms of seven ones. Seven ones. And uh, there is one body, there is one Spirit, there, even if you're calling, one hope of your calling. And this is the drive that is within each individual that causes us to abound in unity and in harmony. One Lord, this is the King, this is the Ruler, this is the Lord Himself. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father, which is one, but it's one God and Father, of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. And there is the living body, and there is the unity, and there is the living God in human beings. And a person without that faith is a person without the understanding of what it is to be a member of the body of Christ. Unto every one of you, uh, one of us, is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. The seventh verse is to allow us to know how that we can interact with appreciation and love because of the fact that each one of us is made differently. And we have to see the value of each member, of each person. In the eighth verse, he goes back to a quotation in the Old Testament. And he said, this is what he said, this is what he spake when he ascended upon high and led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, if you can, if you can think of this passage describing what has preceded this. When Jesus died, he died that men might be made one and that men might appreciate each other. 
and that men might understand they live when they were dead, but they now live in Christ. They live by the mercy and the grace and the sacrifice that Christ gave. We all live together, and we're one. We're redeemed from the curse of the devil. And this is what a Psalms, this is what a quotation is, that when he led captivity captive, he came and all people from Adam down to the present time were captive. And he went in and, and delivered them. He delivered them. And what he did with them, we'll never know until we get on the other side. But this passage is talking about the same thing that he's been talking about. Look at the third chapter and the 14th verse. For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He, he died for the sins of the lost people. And from Adam down to the present time, their sins were forgiven if they had worked in harmony with God's instruction of faith. And when he said, Jesus said, they shall come from the east and west, north and south, and shall sit down in the kingdom with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is speaking of the culmination of what Christ did on the cross. Look at number nine. This is still a quotation from the Old Testament. Now that he ascended, he went to the grave. He said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my building a body of people, of saving the people who was in the clutches of Satan. And it didn't. His body didn't see corruption. He was raised without any <clears throat> deterioration at all. He was God in the flesh. But his flesh did not see corruption. Now that he ascended, what is it that, but that he also descended first in the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended. Up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And when he ascended on high, he told his disciples in Acts 1, he said, you go into Jerusalem and you wait there till you receive the Holy Spirit. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the other most parts of the earth. And we understand that that happened. And that they told people what to do to be saved. And if they were added together, they were added to the church. Or who were they added to? They were added to the church. Who was the church? The ones he died for. Who was the ones he died for? The ones who had labored in faith and the ones who the Old Testament said that had looked forward to his coming. Now look at number 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and, and some teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, in order to make these last two passages a little bit clearer, 
I want to go to Paul's commentary on it over in Hebrews, the second chapter. Because he talks about this, and he talks about it in other places. But he or whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, and he's still quoting a lot of passages from the first chapter and from the second. Uh, he quoted from the Old Testament too, the Psalms. And he's greater than angels. Uh, and I want you to look at at the sixth verse of the second chapter of Hebrews. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. Now you know that Psalms too. And he's speaking about Christ. But Christ was made man. And this is where he took the part of man and suffered for his sins and made it possible for him to be the righteousness of God. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. That means Christ. He made Christ a little lower than the angels. He made us a little lower than the angels, but he made Christ a little lower than the angels so he could die for us. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Now we know that he did man that way, that he gave man control over the thing, but we know Christ is the one that he really has given control, and that all authority has been given to him. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in him that, for in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him, but now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. What for? For the suffering of death. That's exactly what we looked at in, in Ephesians 4. When he said he, he, did, he I descended, also ascended. Crown him with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. When he died, he paid the price. And he died for every man. And if it wasn't for his death, you couldn't live forever. I think there's one thing that if we could just get over to man is that Christ died for you, for your sins. There's not a man that lived beyond the age of accountability that could ever escape sin unless he accepts what Christ has done for him. That's the reason this morning in our lesson, in the fifth chapter, of 2 Corinthians, he said, the love of Christ compels us. It drives us. Only those of us who believe that he came and was a substitute for us in his death. Now the 10th verse says, for it became him for whom all are all things, and by whom are all things. He was the creator. And Satan got us in this mess. And we'll learn more about him when we get to heaven and his story. 
But his story ended right here, if you believe in Jesus as your king. But if you don't, Satan will get you. He's after you. He'll get you. He'll plead for you. He deceives you. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's a snake. He rebelled against God. He continues to rebel against God. And man that is not thinking will rebel against God. But man who believes that Jesus loves us, he created us, he caused us to be, by procreation, to come into this earth. We become his children by the law of procreation. We're his. We belong to him. We don't belong to Satan. And he gave his life, and, and he gave everything he had that we might be delivered from Satan. There's only the unbeliever not, that will not listen. And bringing many sons unto glory. He didn't want us to ever die. He wants us to be. He intended for a man when he created him and put him in the garden for him to be a glory to him. And we lost it. And the counterpart is, is in the book of Revelation, the last chapter, where that we have the free of life. The, the, we have the heaven. We have, we have where it was when Satan deceived us. And he came and recovered. And he's delivered us. The book, the Bible, is the greatest tragedy that has ever been written. One tragedy after another. But it's the greatest drama. And the actor that's supreme is Jesus Christ. And he's delivered us all. He made, he did this to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. Did you know when you're baptized into Jesus Christ upon the confession that you believe he's the Messiah, that he's the one who came to the man, that your life begins, your eternal life begins when you rise from that watery grave uh, which symbolizes uh, the event of the cross and the giving of the blood for you and for your sins and that eternal life begins there, and it continues as long as you don't lose your faith that, that he's paid for it. And any mistakes you make during life, his blood cleanses you if you just acknowledge them. And anything that the devil might put in your path before, he'll forgive it. It's hell-proof. Faith in him. It isn't your baptism that saves you. It isn't your confession that saves you. It isn't your belief in him that saves you. It's what he did at the cross that saves you, and he paid for it. And unless you acknowledge that in your faith, and in your repentance, and in your baptism, then you haven't claimed it. And you can't boast when you accept it. And you know that 11th verse says, we're both he the sanctified and they're the saint. We're one. We're just as we're just as holy as he is holy. And we want to be holy because he is holy. And we we want to be holy because his blood makes us holy. And our mistakes doesn't cause us to have a negative attitude and say we can't make it because we know we don't we don't have to make it on our own. We make it because we believe in him and his blood cleanses us and we believe that he can't lie. And we're one with God. 
and the devil is on the run. For this cause, he's not ashamed to call our brethren. He wants to be one with us. I'll tell you, the love of Christ compels us. It motivates us. It moves us out. The twelfth verse says, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise to thee. You know the reason why we sing? Because we've been saved. Because Christ has paid the price for our salvation. It's because we have hope. And these Psalms here said, Again, I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I am the children which God hath given me. When you have that kind of faith, you walk through life. And anxiety doesn't have a place in your life. It may come along, but it doesn't harbor there. Not with this kind of faith. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is devil. And in order to claim Christ, you have to believe that 14th verse, that he destroyed the devil. If you think the devil might get you, you just haven't had faith in Christ. He did this. I believe that passage. Every Christian believes that passage. And the devil just doesn't have a light that compares with Christ and his power. But he'll try to get into brethren and destroy brethren. He'll try to be deceptive. He'll try to lie. He'll try to cheat. He'll try to steal. He'll try to gossip. He'll try to do anything to destroy the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. You know, that 15th verse says what he did. He delivered them who through fear of death. Now, I want you to look at that 15th verse. And I want you to think about what we read in the fourth chapter. When he went into the grave, he led captivity captive. Now, whatever happened to all those people, I, uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and all those people that had been dead, they hadn't been saved. Oh, they had been, they'd offered lambs and they'd done those things. And God said he forgave them their sins, but they were just rolled forward. He hadn't cleansed them. The blood of Christ hadn't been shed, it hadn't been shed yet. Well, God knows how to preserve the people unto judgment, whether they be for torment or whether they be in paradise. And he led these people captive, and he gave gifts unto them. And when Paul saw paradise, after he was uh, stoned and left for dead, he said it was in the third heaven. He said he was caught up in whether he's in the body or the body. He said, I couldn't tell. But he had things that, that he could understand and God showed him that he couldn't reveal. So we need to understand. And before he died, he said to these Philippians, he said, you know, I'm as straight betwixt the two, whether to depart or be with Christ, which is far better, or to stay and be with you. You need me. Well, where was he going to be when he departed and be with Christ? He's going to be in paradise. Where is paradise? But it's sure not in a dark place in a dungeon where you're waiting for some doom. It's wherever it is. It's Christ has the people. And Jude says he's going to bring 10,000 of his saints back with him. 
So we need to understand that Ephesians, the third chapter, said of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that the church of Christ is made up of people in heaven as well as people here in the earth. And in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, where he said, we've come to a general assembly. We've come to the church firstborn ones, we've, ones who have their names written in heaven, that we come to them every time we come together. We're praising. We're thanking God. We're motivated. Look at number 15 again. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He delivered us. For verily he took not only himself the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. He's made just like we were. Therefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. He does that every time we come to him, every time we have faith. For the fourth chapter uh, of this book in Hebrews, he said, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find, and find grace to help us. It happens right now. Christ is alive. For in, he, in, in that he himself has suffered, he's able, he, he, being tempted, he is able, he is able, he is able now. To help those who I want you to look at that fourth chapter, the next chapter, and the last uh, 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 15, 16. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all point tempted like as we are yet without sin. Can Christ be that real to you? Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I was talking to a person this week, he's a member of the church, he's having a lot of problems, he's asking for help, and he's, he's all mixed up about keeping everything, you know, legalistic and, and keeping things, whether he could do things right or whether he could keep his family going or whether this and this, that. And I said, hey, wait, 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 just, just wait a minute. Oh, who, who do you think Jesus is? And when we put this focus on what he was trying to get his family to do and everybody else to do, I said, just wait a minute. Who? He said, well, it's, it's way off. He's way off. He's way off. What do you mean by that? I said, what do you mean? He's way off. He isn't way off. If the Bible is true, he, he hears you. He knows you. He knows every pain you have. He knows every conflict you have. He knows that you're trying to control things by yourself. And you think you can pat yourself on the back and say, I did this, boy. I set everybody right my family. Isn't that terrible? That we get up, caught up in the legalistic uh, document of the Old Testament and, uh, and uh, we make the, the Bible legalistic to that we just think is a bunch of one, two, threes. You've got to do some don'ts here, and you've got to do that, and you just leave Christ out. Now, I'm not saying that you don't do things. You do because you know it's a relationship. And when you have a relationship with Christ, you, you devote your life to him. You pray to him. You ask him to help you. Turn back to the fourth chapter. Oh, be <coughs> Yet 
You know the reason why he gave the 11th chapter uh, the people, the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers and, and he gave them special gifts in the first century when, and we know when the inspiration all came together and he put the books together that he certainly those gifts lasted but, but that was for the perfecting of the saints. It was for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. But now our gifts today are still for that. When we understand we are a body. And the 13th verse says, Till we come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That 13th verse describes in a very vivid way what I've tried to get over to you in the second chapter of Hebrews. That walking with Christ and living with Christ, it, it, that's what all of this is given so that we can perfect ourselves in living with him. He lives and moves and has his being in our faithful mind and dependency upon him. And until we come to the stature of the fullness of Christ, we don't know. In Colossians 2 and verse 9, it said, In him the, the, the fullness of the body of the Godhead bodily dwelt. All of God was in him. He was given the Spirit. The Father looked down upon him and he said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. He represented the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit while he was here. And when we receive him, we receive his Spirit. We receive him and we receive the Father, the fullness of God. And a person who is a Christian... Uh, he shouldn't, look at that 14th verse, we shouldn't be uh, uh, like children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. See, there's going to be people try to lead us out uh, away from Christ and the reality that he's living in us and moving in us and helping us. And you'll have that all along. But when you learn to speak the truth in, in love and you grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, that's when you're perfecting your relationship with him. For whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. That's the reason we all make a part of it. This I say and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as the Gentiles walk in the vanity of the mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Well, what do you do? Well, if you did that, you'd be past feeling and you'd give yourself over to a lascivity which is lewd emotions of men. You would work uncleanness and you'd work greediness, but you wouldn't do that if you had faith in the person of Christ within you. That's the reason he says in number 20, it's a choice. Once we put Christ on in baptism, we have the choice of continuing to have faith in him, his existence, and his power, and his lordship, or we can lead him, go and let the devil get us. Look at the 20. He says, put ye on, but ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have learned him, and have been taught by him as the truth in Jesus, that ye put off concerning, that's a that's a continuous thing that we have to keep putting off and not let the devil. The devil still can have his way with us. Which is corrupt according to the seats of lust. 
Yet number 23, you have to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You have to keep going all the time. Look at number 24. That you put on the new man which, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. We said this morning, Christ in his teaching in 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, that we became the righteousness of God because Christ died for us. When we become the righteousness of God, then we act righteous because our sins have been paid for and we walk in him. Look at number 24. Wherefore, putting away lying, you have to continue to understand that you're in the battle. You speak truth, uh, every man with his neighbor, for we members one of another. You can be angry, but you don't let it control you. It is wrong to be angry. You're going to be angry because we have a, we have a fleshly man within us. And, and a lot of things make us angry when we don't understand it. But we don't get possessed by that anger if you have Christ within you. Look at that 26th verse. You don't sin. You just say, I'm going through the struggle. The devil's trying to get me. I'm not going to give away to him. I'm not going to curse. I'm not going to curse my brother. I'm not going to hate my brother. I'm not going to be suspicious. He said, just take care of it right then. You can't put it off. If you put it off, it'll build up wrath. You don't give one inch to the devil, 27th verse. You don't give him any inch at all or he'll take a mile. You want to steal? You just don't do that. You labor and help people. You want to curse? Look at 29. You don't do that. Why? Why, Jesus said, let your nay be nay and your yea be yea. He said, whatsoever is more is of the devil. Why well, he said, my, the heaven is my, is my place of abode. The, the earth is my footstool. You don't swear by either one of them. I didn't say that. Jesus did. So just recognize me. Just say yes and no. You, you, it's a lot better to say things that will build up. Look at that last part of the 29th verse. Encourage you. Edify one another. That ministers grace to the hearers. And you know the Holy Spirit is present. Look at that 30th verse. If we've been made one of the body of Christ, we have life within us. And, 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 and if you do anything contrary to these activities he's talking about here, the Holy Spirit's heart will be grieved. Now the reason is that he knows everything. Christ knows everything. The uh, Holy Spirit is, his, is, is our comforter and is his representative now, and Christ is there too. Uh, we can't explain the Godhead. We can't explain Christ. We can't explain the Holy Spirit. We can't explain God, the Father. Don't try to. We don't have to. We just believe it. See? But we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And don't you ever disbelieve that. You just accept that. And when you do, you know what you'll do? Instead of being bitter... You'll let the bitterness and the wrath and the anger and the clamor and the evil speaking, you'll let it be put away from you with all buildup, all malice. Now that takes an effort. Now you know that 31st verse. I said something this morning about a person that I 
directing to a book that had been written by three doctors, and these three doctors all have ministerial degrees, they all have MDs degree, they all have psychiatric degrees. They're all believers in God and in Christ and the Holy Spirit, and that the Word of God is divine. They may not believe just like we do, but they believe that Jesus is Lord. And in that, they believe what this says here. But if you have that bitterness and that wrath and all that build up in you, it's unresolved, it'll make you sick. And that's what the Bible teaches. But on the other hand, they teach and they find they they found it here and, and, and people said when they wrote their book that they would never sell it. Couldn't even get it uh, done by uh, great but now it's it's out fooling. It, it, it isn't true. But nevertheless, on this, on this 32nd verse, he said, When you're kind one to another, and tenderhearted and forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake have forgiven you, that's, that's when your body functions correctly. Fourth chapter. It has many things that we need to digest and we need to build our faith. Thank you for being here. Read it and study it and, and accept it. May your faith be matured. If you're here and subject to the call, come as we stand together and sing.